What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes Podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So, yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the fathers to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my new friend, CJ Stewart. We have an incredible conversation. Couple things that are golden nuggets are how to walk slowly as a father through the messiness, how to create a culture of not complaining. Don't complain in your house. Don't teach your kids to complain. And then a question around the dinner table that will help your children shape, understanding the power they have to operate in their life. Enjoy meeting my friend, CJ. What is up, my friends? I am super pumped to be talking to my friend, CJ. CJ, how are you today? I'm doing awesome, Ned. Looking forward to it. Excited to be here. Excited for what's to come. Heck yeah. All right. Why are you excited today? Just a chance to share. Just life. Life's so dang busy and I feel like we do so much, but to yeah. hit pause and talk about what really matters in life is just, A, it's refreshing to me. Does something at my soul level, but I also know just as the times where somebody hears something along the way and it is a fork in the road for them. So whatever guy's going to do with those seeds, I'm here for the journey. Yeah, man. No joke. It's busy, bro. So I'm in Hawaii. It's 8 a.m. The surf was good this morning. So I grabbed my son at like 6.15. We woke up and we went and surf. So I'm standing in wet board shorts right now. Like we awesome. just rolled up at the house, but I ran in and I threw on my Rise Up King shirt, my Rise Up Kings hat, because this is how you yeah. and I connected with this amazing organization, Rise Up Kings. So let's jump into this. How old do you find yourself today? Today, 34. Some days I feel it. Some days I don't. Some days you feel, so is 34 old then? Or <laughs> 34 used to be really old. You seem really far away. Isn't that so funny? I just turned 40 and I'm like, dude, I feel like this was this arrival. Like people who are 40 are old, yet now I'm here. How many kiddos do you have? Two kiddos. And as you said, I feel an old and wild. I was like, oh, cell phone's still on a ring. One of them's going to be pinging in in a minute. No, married, two kids, eight-year-old daughter and three-year-old daughter. So Okay, two girls. And then are we donezo or are there more coming? No way, yes or no, either way. So we're okay, just okay, it's um, up in the air. All right, right, dig it. How many years you've been married? Ten. Ten so. years. That's Got married at twenty-four. Right. Yeah, we yeah. met at 21, actually. So I was twenty-one, she was twenty-four. We met kind of crazy story, crazy spot. It's been a wild ride over the last decade. Hey, dude, congratulations. So you celebrated your 10-year anniversary already? That's right. Yep, it was in May. Ooh, bro. That's what's yep. up, man. That's a feat right there. That's an accomplishment. I don't think we really stop and celebrate that enough. Like I chose to bind myself to another human being and, and we've made it work for 10 years. No doubt. And yeah, and I would say the accomplishment is on her end for 10 years of, of surviving is what our joke is. So Putting yeah, up with you while you grew up. No doubt. Yeah, still. She said she married younger so she could train me, but that verdict's still out. Um, <laughs> kind of giving up on that. So we got married. I was 21. My wife was 22. And the joke is she should have waited because since she married me at 21, I never had to grow up. I got to continue with the middle school, high school, stupid potty jokes. Whereas like a 30 year old dude has to stop acting like that to attract a wife. You know what I mean? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't be young forever, but you can always be slightly immature. So that's uh, right. And it's awesome. Cause my son, I have four daughters and a son and he's 14 right now. And dude, he's just cracks me up. There'll be times he's joking at the dinner table and my wife's looking at me like, no. And I'm like, I can't not laugh. It's like in class when you know, you shouldn't laugh and it's even funnier. Yeah. He's killing me right now. What is it that you do for a living that supports, provides for the family and provides value out in the world? Yeah, twofold. So I got hurt in Afghanistan in 2010. So I was an army medic in the 101st Airborne for a couple of years. I got hurt. It's actually how I met my wife. So she was a occupational therapist at Walter Reed. So I was- Oh my gosh, this sounds like a movie. Is this like a lifetime movie? You're like in there laid up and she comes in. Hey, look, no chicks dig scars. Remember that old? <laughs> uh, no, I was actually, man, I was a three strike guy for her. I was from the South. I was in the military and I was younger than her. And she would have okay. told you no on all of it, but she had never been told yes, ma'am, before. So I'm medically retired. There's an element you said, what do I do for a living? So part of that allows us, literally, we viewed that from day one of like, there's an obligation the U.S. has to me financially to take care of me for the rest of my life in that yeah. sense, which allows us then to say, hey, from a ministry component, we've been on a wild ride of a decade plus of ministry where we go, hey, there is an opportunity to where we don't have necessarily the do or die concern of, I got to pay the light bill at the end of the month. Um, So that allows us from a ministry perspective, we've done nonprofit stuff in years past, but today I'm a small groups pastor at our church back home. So I live in Clinton, Mississippi, where we've been off and on for about the last 12 years. And so family's here now, full-time pastor here. And then my wife gets to stay home. And so we do a collaborative homeschool. So on uh, Monday, Friday's there at the house doing schoolwork. And then on Tuesday, Thursday, they all go to school. And my wife's an elementary PE teacher. She gets to do PE with the kids and then she's with our girls too. So it's a fun season and a fun time that we really are able to create the life that we want right now in this season. Yeah. Okay, man. I love this. I want to come back to a couple things. So I make a note here, but first off, you made the comment, my wife gets to stay home. And this is something that's been coming up for me a bit more. You know, my wife has also had the privilege of staying home since she was pregnant with Brooklyn 17, you know, whatever, 18 years ago. But in our culture, okay, here's why it's interesting. Okay. Is I have four daughters. My daughters have aspirations and I'm not saying they shouldn't. They should. I'm not like you girls are just going to be homemakers. But at the same time, I'm wrestling with what am I putting in front of them saying makes them valuable. We had a long conversation the other night and my 14 year old daughter's like wrestling with she wants to be a doctor. But then we're also talking about, okay, how are you going to feel when you're 30 years old? You did it. You arrived. And now you're getting a call at 2 a.m. to go deliver a baby and you have your own baby at home and somebody else is coming in. And it's not to say that she can't do both. She can. But just talk to me about your philosophy and shoot, you have an eight and a three-year-old, so this isn't quite coming up, but it will be, is my daughter said, I want to be more than a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. No, in front no, of my no. wife. Yeah. No, and that's, and it was funny is my wife. So she grew up in New England. I'm a hillbilly from the South and she's from right outside of her. <laughs> Arizona, Boston, Union. All right. So he was a carpenter in the union. And so uh, her mom was a stay at home and she looked down upon that. Your wife, wife looked down upon yes. it or her mom did? My wife looked down upon her mom in that sense of like, yeah, I'm a okay. Thing. Yeah. Again, master's degree, occupational therapist, 24, living on her own, working in Washington, D.C., all these things. Once we had our oldest daughter and we're then going, God, you know, just challenging her and just the convictions and just the importance of like, where else would you want to be? It's kind of like that. Right. You're talking about like the doctor side of like part of my life mission is to do things that change the world, change somebody's 
world, alter future generations and impact eternity. And why in the world would I not start in my home doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Tell me those, say those three things again. Change the world. Yep. Somebody's world. Well, you say change the world. Okay. Uh, alter future generations. Yeah. Impact eternity. And so when things are presented in front of me, for instance, on Monday night, we got to pray with a lady here at church and her husband and son. She's pregnant. They found a spot that might be cancerous. They got to get testing. All wow. this stuff. And that was my prayer was, yes, Lord, healing, all of those things. But more than that, for this family in this moment, A, we realize we're not in control. Uh, we've yep. never been in control. Right, uh, right. But in this moment, we realize we're not in control, but that this moment would be a time and place that does those three things. And I prayed that because we don't want to miss the mark of life, generations, eternity for our family. I'm just caught up in the moment. And we've had that kind of conversation because our eight-year-old is wired that way of like, she wants to have like eight jobs when she grows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First child, all of those things. Having that conversation of like, how awesome would it be for you to get to do what mom does? Like mom, mom loves health and fitness. Mom's an OT by trade medical. She works out and she drags me along like that kind of thing. <laughs> But how awesome would it be for you to get to do that too? That's the kind of conversation in our house because of where else would it matter 60 years, 70 years, 100 years from now, what we do today? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I'm hearing that's continuing to help me process through this is the thought isn't, ah, you wasted your time by getting a master's and doing all the things you did. You should have just not gone to high school and learned how to cook and clean. Like that's not where this is going. But it's not saying my whole identity is wrapped up in my master's or the job I had. If I want to continue on with those things, those accomplishments, which are great in my like 16 to 25 range, but if those are the things that are giving her a confidence to lead as this incredible homemaker. But that's the same approach, even for me as a guy when I got hurt, 21 years old, being mm -hmm. a soldier is not who I was, it's what I did. And so when I got hurt, okay, okay. cool. Yeah. Now, somebody, hey, they woke up one morning and they were a six foot two, 200 pound combat machine. And then they woke up the next morning missing their legs and their life was over. Right. And my yes. response is, oh, now you're just on eye level with your kids. <laughs> now you get to have better conversations. So it's just that mindset. So, yeah, that's just what I did, not who I was. So then I wonder if as fathers, the conversation shifts somewhat from what are you going to do when you graduate? This idea of what are you going to do? We put such an emphasis on yeah. this that even now I'm like, dude, I sell insurance. Okay, yeah. cool. I love it. I'm super grateful. Yeah. But instead of what are you going to do? Talking about the families they're going to lead. How are we going to carry our family core values through 100 years from now, 500 years from now? What's your family going to look like when you're 30? You know, starting to plant these things in our kids' mind. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of tents you make necessarily. Be right. out in the world providing value. <laughs> and then honoring that homemaker as C.S. Lewis. I say this a lot, but C.S. Lewis has an incredible quote. The homemaker is the ultimate career. Every other career only exists to support the ultimate career. Something like that. Yeah. And I think if us men started helping a, our sons see that, like say traditionally, our sons are going to provide just yeah. traditionally yeah. help that because there was years where I thought I was more important because I'm making money. That's right. Right. So our sons need yeah. to know family is most important. It's not about you. Cool. You, whatever your job, making money. And then also yeah. for the moms to feel like it is okay if I want to be homemaker. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. The conversation back to this, who you're becoming, not what you're doing, who you're becoming, who you're impacting, who you're serving, all of those things. Because as a guy who got up off his deathbed, I can promise you this. You don't think about any of those what's 
in that last hour of life, you're thinking about yeah. who's seeing faces. You're thinking about things I wish I would have said, things maybe I wish I wouldn't have said. I had that moment, you know, those kind of things. And so, but it's all about who. So if that's the case, if that's what we'll think about then on that day, why would we not between now and then and live that life, you know, intentionally in that way? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think this is a really important conversation. And then lastly, I think it's important for men, especially young fathers to start to get a grasp on their finances, because I think one of the reasons why we're not able to have more intention about mom and dad being home present connected more is because we put ourselves in a position where we need dual income to survive. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. The leverage is in pressure of, yeah. Yeah. Get that figured out early. Yep. When did you embrace fatherhood? So, I mean, a lot happened to you in your early 20s, it sounds like, yeah. you know, military, hurt, met your wife, and then two years into being married, you just realize you're having a kid. When did you embrace, I'm a father and this matters? Yeah, so I will say, you know, again, in that name of fully being known and being who I am and embracing the scars, not trying to hide any of them. Honestly, I can say it's probably only been within the last couple of years. Yeah. And so previously, I would tell you, I had a family and a mission in life. Mm. And they were separate. The whole visual of I'm flying the helicopter and my family's like hanging onto the rope underneath the helicopter, getting drug along. And then really that conviction of like, well, our family isn't the mission. Like I don't exist for just my family, but being a family on mission together. Okay. What does that look like for us for it to be a all or nothing kind of mindset as how we do life and creating that synergy amongst not just, hey, dad goes to work. Okay, mom's at home. Okay, I go to school. Uh, but really the intentionality behind that. And so I was really convicted. My wife, Danielle, is her name. About five years ago, probably when our oldest Paisley it was three, she said, mm-hmm. hey, when you lay in the floor and play with her, pretend you're having coffee with a dude and talking about being a man and, and being mm-hmm. a husband. Because like, that's the stuff that fires me up or the challenging aspects of life. Like, what are you doing? How are you living? Where are you at at 4.50 in the morning? That kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and she's like, that's the same thing. Because the conversations you're having with her at an early age are going to be the things that she remembers mm-hmm. when she's adult standing in church. And somebody goes, so tell me about your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what she's going to. So it's honestly my wife having the spiritual gift of being from the north, not the south. She tells me exactly like it is. And it's my job to deal with it. <laughs> um, and so uh, there's no beat around the bush like here in the south. They're the kindest people who never say anything. But it's just a reality of being real. And so I had to look in the mirror at that. We got real intentional about how we do family. We've been intentional. We were intentional people independently. Got and it. then um, interdependently working together, but as a family unit, united, being intentional about, hey, what do, what do Wednesday night one-on-ones look like? Hey, what do weekly family meetings look like? Family worship in our home. What do those things look like? How do we spend Thanksgiving? Not how my family extended spends Thanksgiving. How are we going to do it? So just really honing in on that has been the last two years. So five years ago, she's like, hey, engage with your kids at a different level. And yeah. then you're doing that. And then two years ago, there's something that was ignited in you to sit down with your wife and create a bit more structure framework around how we do life. What was that trigger to do that? Yeah. So we transitioned. So we ran a nonprofit that we started after I got hurt. I was still in DC before we moved back home. And so we ran a nonprofit for about seven years, Target Teenage Guys. We ran a summer camp. You mentioned Rise Up Kings. You're wearing, you know, ruck stuff. Think of that for teenage boys. So it was summer camp meets boot camp with the notion of what does it mean to be a man? And so we did that. And then we transitioned from running a nonprofit, doing all that. Really, I love programming and I love people. The whole nonprofit umbrella side wore me out, especially being a dumb 25 year old at the time. 
So we transitioned and worked with older youth in foster care and group homes. And so we were house parents. I was a program director for a transitional living program. And then so we house parented for about three years. We house parented over 35, 16 to 20 year olds while we had started at three up to almost six. And then Aubrey came along during that process, actually. So about a year in. So yeah, really, I think probably house parenting and living with, again, teenagers, 18, 19, 20-year-old guys and girls at different times, primarily boys. But we did have a girl's home for a little while. And just looking at 17, 18, 19-year-olds in the face, everyday problems, everyday life, birthdays, anniversaries of people dying, going to prison, Christmas, holidays, you know, spending Christmas Day with four or five teenagers that they don't have anywhere else to go on the planet. Right. Um, Just navigating that and going, okay, we got intentional there because we didn't have that much time with them. So some of those frameworks and operating systems, we then started implementing in our home of, that's where we learned about weekly meetings. Because again, six teenagers who grew up in six different homes, we got to get on the same page and we're going to kill each other. And so here's how we do it in this house. Here's what the dishes look like. Here's what chores look like, that kind of stuff. That really probably changed our mindset. And then we started dreaming about the girls going, okay, what does Christmas look like when they're 25? Mm. Uh, Being a family on mission, intentionally living, generationally, how do we impact the world around us with our families? One day I'm going to have son-in-laws. Like, I didn't think about that. Like, Mm. I love ministry. I love all this stuff. But like, I didn't think about that until recently. Just that like, no, dude, you're going to be meeting me for coffee in the dark early to talk. Mm. It's just imagining the future we want. And then going, how do we create that? So that's what really caught fire with us, probably. Hey, I love that answer. And I love the way you framed it, because I think we're really good at our ministries, our businesses, setting up those systems, casting vision for those. But you pause and go, man, I'm probably not going to be the business owner of this business forever, maybe. Or I'm not going to be at this ministry forever, maybe. But this family, this family is 100% going to be here beyond me. And you can say the same for a business, but what's more important, my family. It's funny how we'll do these weekly meetings and expectations in our businesses or our ministries, and then we don't do it at home. Like how freaking ass backwards is that? It should start in our home and then carry over into, hey, this is working well in my home. I'm going to go bring this into my ministry. So I love how you brought it up. Like, hey, we're doing this in this nonprofit, which makes sense. We're going to sit and plan and structure. And how do we do this? But then, hey, let's do the same thing with our home, with our family. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 100%. And you think about that, even the business world, we love the military stuff. We love military Mm -hmm. leadership. Jocko's the coolest thing since sliced bread and all that stuff. But it's like, no, no, that stuff really works. If it works in combat, it'll work in the business world. So if it works in the business world, why would it not work in our home? Well, it just really is simple. Combat is simple. It's hard as all get out. And maybe the scariest thing you ever experienced, but it's simple at the end of the day. And that's the same thing of being a husband and being a father. I think it's way simpler than we make it. Now it's way harder than we want to admit. Yeah. And I think the reason why it's easier to lead in my business or my ministry, because it's a job. I could fire you if I don't like you, whatever. Uh You're going to get more kickback, pushback, eye rolls. It's going to be a lot longer process inside your home. But if you're truly here because you want to become that father, you want to become that man, when your wife rolls her eyes or doesn't want to do it or your kids do or whatever, it's going to continue to teach you how to serve and how to not let your emotions dictate. Whereas if it's at work, people aren't going to give you that same pushback probably. That's right. 
Yeah. And they know the real me. They see me. They don't see the facade. I'm fully known whether I want to be or not. Yes. We talk about that, especially engaging in the church. And we talk about morality and sexuality and different things. But I mean, I embrace that head on. That's just who I am in life. But I'm like, dude, you've got a GED in 10 women and I have a PhD in one woman. Who do you think you want to come to for advice? Yes. In that mentality. So it's just like embrace that and like lean in. But at the end of the day, that woman really knows me. She knows my good, mm-hmm. my bad, my ugly, my yep. worst. And she still chooses me and accepts me. And like, oh, it's like so when you are true intimacy, true into me, you see style life, then you experience life at a different level. That's the drug I want to chase and love, you know. And the example we're setting for our kiddos is incredible. Okay, so let me ask you this. You had, a, again, we're going back to a lot happened, you know, from 18 yeah. to 21, 22, <laughs> 23. But when you became a father, What's something you learned about yourself, something new, something fresh that you learned about who CJ is? Yeah. So I didn't say this at the beginning. I needed to. So we actually had two kids in heaven. We had two miscarriages before we had Paisley, our oldest. One was at like an atypical. It was actually late in the pregnancy. So it was at 20 weeks. Wow. And so it was a crazy situation. And then the second was a quote unquote traditional miscarriage at 10 weeks. Again, one was just way out of the blue surprise. We were naive. We just thought everybody got pregnant and had kids. And then, oh, this could actually happen. Her name was Faith. We had already gone to all the ultrasounds and all that stuff. So it was wow. Faith. So faith and hope are in heaven. And I think what I learned, so when Danielle was pregnant with Paisley, I just had this like, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and she was born six weeks premature. We had a week in the hospital. So I didn't, it's almost like when we got home is when I kind of was like, okay, this is real. Yeah. But I think what our first two daughters forced me to do as I became a father here on earth was embrace the lack of control. I really, uh, yeah, dude, I knew uh-huh. you were going there. Yeah. And it forced that I didn't get a choice. And I'm so thankful. Again, painful, hard, all those. And granted, it's opened the door to hundreds of conversations with people yeah. even past week within our church family of folks walking this road. But we really are like, I did not tell my heart to beat once ever. When mm-hmm. I think that, I didn't know I woke up this morning until I woke up. Like, you know, right. just this mentality. So it really just taught me even more than combat in the military, but just how fragile life is, especially when you're talking about kids and those that you're responsible for. Was Paisley in the NICU for a little bit? Just a week. So that a was week. all. How was that week, pain. though? I mean, because I would think from having the two miscarriages, that one, the delivery, and then it's early. And then it's like, you're the leader. You're the provider yeah. and protector of the home. How was your conversations with God from her being born to uh, being in the NICU until you realize, OK, yeah, she's coming home with us. I mean, talk to me about that. Yeah. So I guess maybe it is part of my life. You know, I spent six months in a hospital bed. I've had 49 surgeries putting me back together. Honestly, I do better in those situations. Okay. Uh, Crisis-wise, the valley, I'm really comfortable in the valley. Sightseeing Mm. on the mountains, kind of weird for me, that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. So I'm good in that element. I'm definitely outward focused. So I would have a, what do I need to do? Who do I need to be? You know, I'm a medic. I go help people when they're hurt, their worst moment. I'm the guy they see smiling. I'm here. I'm coming to get you and we'll die together. Like that mentality. Probably focused on Danielle, my wife, more than anything. That makes sense. But definitely like, all right, the car ride, no radio, back and forth to the hospital. You're just riding the shower. Just those moments of, all right, it's almost like, you know, body shock kind of shutting down my but then going, all right, Lord, like, hey, like, I'm walking, I'm open-handed. I am here because God's not done with me. When he's done mm-hmm. with me, he killed me. Moses' plan. I'm here until he says, come home. Yeah. So what do you want out of this is really my question. God, what are you doing? What do you want out of this? And just walk slowly. So if anything, that week, I would tell you I walked slower. I like um, that. I like that. Walk slowly. 
when you think about being a father, especially to two girls, what would you say your role is? What is my role to those two girls? So I think a twofold for who they are now or who they're experiencing now and then who they're going to experience later. And so I think of the husband, father kind of example, but I think obviously the fatherly love, we have a father in heaven that loves us. And that is so you know warped uh, by our earthly fathers. It is what it is. You ask any person, but it doesn't matter how old you are, 40. Tell me about your dad. And it yeah. brings up stuff in you. Something. Um, Yes. And that's everybody. We don't get a vote on that. Uh, I know. We're going to bring up something. So, hey, I get to be that for them. And, you know, and we joke sometimes and are like, ah, they'll work some of that out with their counselor one day. But, you know, like literally we're going, no, 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 no. If we don't handle this correctly, we could wound this little child in a way that's going to shape her as an adult. So one, that earthly representative of like, I'm their father and their shaper right now, their molder in life. But then I'm also, my number one job as their father is I am the husband to their mama. Mm. End of the day, I unashamedly tell everybody I am a husband first and a father second. Yeah. I love her and I look forward to my son-in-laws one day because at the end of the day, the example that my girls are going to see for 18 years in the home and the years beyond that, like whoever they bring home is going to be a stud because they're going to go, I want them to be better than my dad. I want them to raise the bar. I want them to go, no, that's who I'm going to. When crisis hits Paisley when she's 30, I want her to have a man that is better qualified, better suited for survival than me. Kind of modeling that and teaching that and talking about that with them. Yeah. So it's kind of twofold. You can't just be a piece of crap and say, Hey, marry somebody better than me. You have to continue to level up and model a man who is growth minded and a servant and loves deeply and isn't swayed by the day's concerns. So huge. Now I've never asked this question, but you've brought it up. So what do you think your role is going to be to your son-in-law's? Oh, man. I mean, that's down the road, right? But but you're bringing it up. And and I think that's fantastic to have that understanding that that will be one day. Sure. Well, I think twofold, obviously, would depend on their relationship with their dad. If I'm going to be the first father figure Mm. they encounter. I love your stuff. I love the concept of embracing fatherhood. And like, I'm challenging guys on our staff, even, you know, they're 25, they're not even married, but I'm like, no, no, dude, you're a student pastor. You're in fatherhood realm more than most. And so like embracing that, it's a generational, one generation training up and raising the next. Um, Student ministry, youth ministry is not in the Bible. What's in the Bible in the New Testament is one generation training through modeling to the next generation. And like, just happen to do that on a Wednesday night, playing games and interacting or whatever it is. So I think one would be that it would be, Hey, in that setting, I might be the first father figure, which means there's going to be some retro stuff that needs to happen. There's going to be some conversations some things maybe they never got to experience. Maybe they've never had a grown man with tears in his eyes, look at him and say, Hey man, I'm proud of you. You got this. Hey, and when you screw it up to nobody can understand how you got that bad, please call me first. I will gladly, I'm coming. I'll take you to jail and I'll pick you up from jail. Whatever we need to do, I'll be there. So there's that side. And then the other side is, okay, cool. Maybe they had something like that. Something like I had growing up. Great. Now I get to be a sage, a coach, a guide and go, you know, kind of like I look to the guys in our church now when we're doing a lot of family discipleship stuff. I go find the 60 year olds. I'm like, man, I'm 30. You look to be 30 twice. I need you. I have ideas. Uh, I've read books. We're trying stuff. You've got decades of experience. Really that journey side of like looking back. So I'm more so of the mindset of, again, depending on the setting, who the son-in-law is, what he needs. I get to be a guy. I get to be a coach in, in that sense. 
Yeah, so interesting. So I love what you're saying about being there, supporting them, being the guy who says, I'm proud of you, etc. We all think our daughters are going to marry someone exceptional. That's what we're striving for. But I guess, what is your thoughts around when your daughter brings somebody home that there's questions of this guy is going to be a lot of work? I tell my daughters right now, especially one of my daughters, she loves to help. She loves to like take care of things. And I tell her, don't settle, say no to 100 guys. And your project can't be your husband. Find some other project. Some douche is going to come around who needs babied, who needs taken care of. That's not your, that's step yeah. away from that. My wife is not my mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't need exactly. So, I mean, uh, it's tough because ultimately we could say it a thousand times, but if we're not modeling it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We talk about the what is, and I think about the what is in life in that way. Yeah. I got a buddy straight up, a dude I love. His wife is a pastor's daughter. Same boat. So we have some of that conversation. He was a hellion, not a believer, lost person, hellion, all this stuff was saved, came to know the Lord four years into marriage. I told him straight up, sorry, dude, that wouldn't have been in my house. I love you, but not here. Skip rocks, come back. And so part of that is being engaged and involved enough in our daughter's lives to where we have earned the right to speak. It's an adventure so grand enough that she doesn't go looking for one out there. What I tell dads all the time is, hey, your daughter's 17. If you don't tell her these things now as her father, she's going to go find those answers with her clothes off on sorority row. Okay. Like you get to tell her you love her or that dude will, who doesn't you pick, you know, like just that challenge as she's in husband prospect mode in life. It's really, hey, chase God, pursue your passion and purpose in life, what God's created you to do. And when you're doing that full on, look around and see who's running with you. And a quick, yeah, don't go looking for something, but like pursue something bigger than that. Yeah, that's good. Somebody said recently to me, which I've been saying to my daughters now is marry for character, not personality. Yeah. And I love that because it's like, dude, the 20-year-old kid who's life of the party, rad, super fun. I'm not saying he doesn't have good character, but look for that. Look for his character, not his personality. That's so much truth in that. So I have a marriage and family counseling degree, grad school. I'm educated in that realm. I didn't really get to say that until you mentioned the 10 years of marriage. I always felt weird going, yeah, I got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. I've been married for two years. Yeah, right. But in that world, when you talk about personality, usually the thing that personality, charisma, something they did that you thought was cute and you were drawn to them at first, usually becomes the thing that y'all fight about the most when you're married. Mm. And oftentimes can be the very thing that leads to divorce and break up. It's like, oh, well, he's so friendly and he's just so cool yeah. until he's friendly with all these other girls. And you're like, where's my husband? And it's like, I don't want you to do that anymore. And that's real journeys we had to learn and grow as like, hey, CJ, the not married 24 year old and CJ, the married 24 year old, everything changed. And right. so if you don't change it, you're going to drag that junk in. And so a lot of that is what's well, my personality. It's how I was raised. And it's none right. of that. It's my character. Here's the standard. Here's what's right. Go do that. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right, man. You've been doing it. Opening up your field notes. This podcast is fatherhood field notes, but the mantra is rebel and create. When you hear rebel and create, what's something that you are rebelling against? And then not just to be destructive and tear something down, but to create something behind it or in its place. When you hear that mantra, what is something you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of it? Yeah. So rebelling against, and again, this sounds weird, you know, how some folks say, but that whole concept, like the American dream, rebelling oh. against 
this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is what success looks yes, like. And this thank is you. what pursuit is creating a, a life worth living every day. As a guy who got up off his deathbed, literally every day I live like it might be my last. If I had one year left to live, what would I go do? Well, go do that. Go do yeah. that for the next 50 years. And just in that mentality. So yeah, rebelling against this whole Pleasantville, white picket fence, go get the job, the promotion, all that, and spend the big five for life. I know you got a connection with that link on there. But, you know, I read that going, hey, yeah, you want to spend 80% of your life doing something you hate at work? That doesn't make any sense to me. You would be happier, joy, satisfied, content, purpose, living life, pursuing things that matter. So create that life. Even if you stand alone, it's where you would rather be. Yeah, dude, I love it. Yeah, that book was my favorite. I've probably given away like 350 copies of it at least. But there's this thing, you just reminded me of it. I had forgotten about it. But this idea of what if at the end of your life, you walked through a museum of your life? What would you see on the walls? Now I get, I have to go work and there's time I got to put into that. But I also choose how I'm spending that time. And I choose how I show up in that because any company, any job, you could find ways to provide value and spread salt and light to those around you. 100%. And you and you alone can choose that. And that's just taking responsibility and not being a victim in that. And yes, 100%. Love that, dude. So I asked this question the first time the other day, and I'm going to ask you now, As a father, I don't want to use the word worry because as believers, as men in the kingdom of God, we're not supposed to worry. But as a father right now in this season, what's a concern that you have? Like I'm concerned about X, Y, or Z. What is a concern you have as the leader, father, servant of your home? Yeah, we talk a lot about physical safety and just our girls putting themselves in situations where they physically might not be safe and who to trust. And we're going through good pictures, bad pictures, a great resource for parents navigating healthy content with kids, doing that with our eight-year-old and going, okay, if somebody tries to show you something on a phone, that's not good. Who can you tell? Well, you know, hey, if people we trust normally that you see us around, you can tell them if we're not around. But then we got to peel back that onion another layer and go, you know, honestly, most abuse stories are people that they know and people that they're supposed yeah. to trust. And so it's like, hey, mom and dad, at the end of the day, mom and dad, but how to work that out. So honestly, it's their safety. It's probably our biggest concern of just because we've worked with so many, even in just ministry across the board, whether it's student ministry side, at the camp world, house parenting here, even now in church, would they be okay? Yes. Can God redeem stories of abuse and mistreatment for his glory? Yes. Yeah. All that. Like yeah. I've seen that pain firsthand and I've seen those scars and, and just the tears. And I don't want that for my girls. And again, we live in a broken world and we can overcome those things, but that's probably the biggest one I'd say that we're cautious around and our guards up everyday stuff. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm going to put that good picture, bad picture. I'll find the resource and put it in the show notes. I think it's really important because we've had a couple situations come up the last 12 months where we were too comfortable and it was like, oh, that was kind of a close or awkward. I think as fathers, it's really important that you know the fathers and the people that your kids are spending time with. I think what happens is we get busy at work. So a lot of times mom goes and drops them off at a friend's house or mom, you know what I mean? And it's not on mom, but I need to go over there and shake this man's hand. A great example. My kids go into a youth group event at a church that we don't go to, and he wants to go help with some festival thing that they're doing for Halloween. And I'm like, if you want to do that, I got to talk to that youth pastor. I got to meet him. I got to shake his hand. I got to look in his eye. Like, I don't care that he's a youth pastor of some church. It means nothing to me. It doesn't mean credible to me now. I need to go talk to him about this. And so I think it's really just your presence 
is important. That's it. As a no, father. it is. I mean, even if you start getting off into the world of criminology and even military, that side, like soft targets are unaware people, are people who are there, but they're not really there yeah. versus someone who's just alert. I'm not going to steal something from that guy. Like, that dude's aware. He's alert. So it's just that. But that's true of just all aspects of life. Criminals pick out targets. Good criminals have a methodology for that. And yeah. so they're not looking for the house that's well lit up. <laughs> it's got security cameras. They're not looking for that because they know somebody's there. Somebody cares. Somebody's taking care of it. The same is true in the family and the presence. And, and your kids experience that too. They know dad's there. They know he's engaged and they want structure. They're going to rebel against that and push back and all that, but they want to be cared for. Like you care enough about me that you're not going to let me do that. Yeah. Uh, and so I would see that with teenagers all the time. These kids have been foster parents. They've lived in 17 homes before they're 17 years old, but going, no, I care about you too much to let you do that dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, we're not doing that. They'll follow that. Yeah. One thing I wish I would have done sooner. So my 17 year old and 15 year old, I kind of missed the boat on getting them into some sort of self-defense. It became important the last two years. And they're like, dad, we don't want to spend our time doing that. We're not into it. They had their sports already. So they didn't really have the capacity. I feel like I missed it on them. But my 10 year old and 14 year old daughters are both heavy into jujitsu and boxing. It's not to say like, oh, now you can protect yourself from some 200 pound aggressive dude, but you're not a soft target anymore. You're probably not going to be a pursued because you have a confidence that not everyone has. So is that something that you're spending some time with, with your girls now, or what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. You're talking about yeah, just the confidence side perspective, how they carry themselves. No, we actually, so we did Krav Maga when we, we moved just to go do something more like a connecting. Hey, we're in a new town for a little while. We didn't know anybody. Like, let's go do something together. This was when our three-year-old was one. So Paisley was six at the time. So we did that for a little bit. And then she's playing sports. We don't do any necessarily combatives regularly, Yeah, at least currently right now. I see something. Our younger one is probably more geared towards that right <laughs> rally. Eight-year-old, she's in that art world, creative mind. But from a conversational presence, confidence, alertness, that was a shift for. And even you bringing that up just reminded me of her questioning, her awareness. And some of that's like, hey, no, still be a child. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. Don't worry about that's here. But no, it is good. Like, hey, you can sit outside in the sunshine at this restaurant while we're going inside to grab something because I can still see you through the glass. Yeah. Nobody's going to take you. I can still see you. But like, you know, just those kind of conversations where she's not just wandering around. So yeah. that was definitely a game changer with champion it. Personally, no, we're not doing anything regularly, but not opposed to any of that in the future. Yeah, but kudos. You said you went to a new town. You went and did something together. There are gyms, dojos, whatever that have family stuff. And so I'd say, dad, if you can make it happen, like how cool for you to go and do that with your kiddos. And if you're nervous about it, dude, just go try something new. You're a man. Walk in there and just tell the dude, I don't know what I'm doing. I'd love to learn with my kid. No one's laughing at you. No one thinks you're an idiot. They think, dude, this guy's taking his job serious as a father. Well, yeah. And we love that word, you know, in in leadership today, vulnerability, like that concept. But like, hey, vulnerability always requires something of you, but it's never about you. It's about somebody else. Oh, I like that. So when you think about it, like on the battlefield, like, hey, I got to get vulnerable and run out to go help somebody. It might cost me, but it's not about me. It's about him, but that's what it takes. So even in that, so yeah, I'm going to walk in there as a disabled dude, go do combat is like, Hey man, uh, here's all my scars. Here's all the things that don't work very well. Don't kill me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm here. Hey, let me lean in and still throw. But 
Hey, at the end of the day, it wasn't about me. As a 32-year-old at the time, I wasn't walking in there going, hey, I'm going to try to get a black belt. But it did me good to learn something new in a space that I had never been in. It just inspired me. But at the end of the day, I was the leader and being vulnerable and going, all right, I got no idea what we're doing. Good luck. Yeah. Um, but what it taught my daughter in that sense was, yeah, now I can step out there and do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Love it, dude. Okay. We could talk forever. I don't want to miss anything if it's important before I ask my last question. Is there anything that when you're laying in bed tonight, you're going to be like, dang, I wish we would have talked about X or I wish I would have shared this story. Anything coming up for you that you want to make sure dad's here? Yeah, I think is this. So a lot of times when I interact with people, they go, man, CJ, you're so like upbeat and confident and all this, whatever. And I'm like, dude, I fail more every day. Mm. the average guy because I'm doing more every day. Mm. And so, but like I move on and it's like, Hey, new day, new, what? like just keep going, keep fighting. Don't worry about the outcomes. Do what's right. Do the trust the process. If you hear this and you go, well, that's easy for that guy to say, cause he's got what? No, I can smile because of all the scars I have. I can be upbeat and confident because of the pain and crap I've walked through. But knowing, guess what? Tomorrow, I'm going to do something dumb. I'm going to mess up. My wife's going to get mad at me. I'm going to let my kids down. Like, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. But like what you're seeing right now and how I'm presenting, that's who I am on the inside. That's how I live inside out. My encouragement to be dads would be, I'm a broken dude talking to broken dudes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But like how I present myself is a choice and how I approach life is a choice and they can make that choice too. Dude, I love it, man. Take action. Be okay when you fail. You're going to fail. But essentially, if you're just worried about failing, then you're going to do nothing. That's right. That's scarier than failing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, then when when your kids asked at 40 years old, they tell me about your dad. They're like, well, uh, he was there. Yeah. I think. (laughs) Versus, dude, my dad loved me. He did awesome things. And when he messed up, he got down on his knee eye to eye. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Like, that's life. Life is the process. And when you say that the process is failing and trying and effort, and that's all we want from each other is right to be known, to grow, to be connected, to belong. This all happens in a family. That's where this happens. Yes. In relationship. And so, yeah, you got to lean in and lead. Yeah. You got to lean in and create it. It's not just going to happen. Nothing's just going to happen. Not at least nothing good. You got to create good. You got to create it. Take action, guys. Okay. Here's my last question for you. It's a legacy question. So imagine 30 years from now, you're standing out in the street, looking into your daughter's homes. What do you see playing out in their homes that puts a big smile on your face and makes you like relieved? Okay. I showed up. I was there. What do you see happening? We try to do this and actually our three-year-old is now our accountability because she loves it. Every night at supper, we're five, at least five nights a week, we're at the table. The table is key for us. Yeah. Our schedules are key on that. But we asked, hey, what was the best part of your day? What was the hardest part of your day? Mm. You're not allowed to say what was the worst part of your day. What was the hardest part of your day? Okay. Uh, and mom, dad, kids, everybody guessed when adults come to our house and our three-year-olds like, hey, it was the best part of your day. But just it's around conversation, but you see the realness of it and the growth of it and, and the conversation. So I would love to see looking in my grandkids, mm-hmm. asking adult friends of my kids, hey, tell me about a hard part of your day. Tell me about life and watching kids shepherd in maturity, real conversations that yes. matter. Yes. Um, that's what I love. 
I love watching it now with our three-year-old. When our three-year-old puts a 35-year-old on skates, it makes me happy inside because I'm going, that 35-year-old needs to have conversations like this because their life's passing them by. So let's do it. CJ, well, one, I love your answer, but you know we've done highs and lows, but I see just from what you shared in the last 10 seconds, when you ask the worst part of your day or what's the low from your day, it puts your kid and yourself into a victim mentality. This happened to me versus what was the hardest part of your day. Now you're talking about a failure and overcoming or maybe you didn't overcome. So how could you next time versus a victim of look at how bad this was. It's so crazy how sometimes you'll say like, oh, this is what's going on in my day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally get it. My day. And I'll spew some garbage as well. I love that dude. Super powerful. Yeah, it's not like it's again simple stuff where you go, man, I heard that we did it. Oh, wow, it worked. Like, don't reinvent it. But let me tell you what came out of that, too. Coming from home from a soccer practice a few days ago, I had an early lunch that day, like 11. By the time we're done with kids' soccer, it's like seven. I haven't eaten. So I'm driving home with an eight year old, and I'm like, man, Paisley, I'm hungry. And yeah, she goes, yeah. Dad, I don't think I've ever heard you complain about being hungry. Oh, I, like, I just thought for a second. I know I've never made a conscious choice not to complain. about hungry but like no i I try not to complain just about life but like it it reminded me what is she listening to what is she yes and so those things matter but now like you talk about picking out a husband i bet he ain't gonna be a complainer in the future Um, yeah because again that's what is and i ain't gotta worry about what if and so just that so it's a simple simple stuff dude i love this i love this i think sometimes in our house we kind of create a culture sometimes of complaining about how hard things are. So this is a conviction for me to go back and start to pay attention to those conversations and think through those. Dude, bro, this has been so rich. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I got like some nuggets of gold right here. I love that our community of men get to hear this and connect and we learn from each other. So bro, keep doing what you're doing. Keep being out in the world, accomplishing those three things. And I love right here, the number one for me was alter future generations. As fathers, we got to be thinking beyond our own life. And I love that you're doing that. That's right. No, grateful for the chance, grateful for the second chance. So we'll keep living it. Love it. All right, bro. Until next time. See you. What an incredible conversation. I so enjoyed connecting with CJ. I love his intentionality. I love the partnership, the relationship, the connection that he has with his wife and how they really make this a team partnership approach. I love how we talked about the leader in the ministry, the leader in the business, and how much more powerful, significant, important it is to bring those tools into leading in your home. A couple highlights for me is this idea around complaining and then asking that question of what was hard in your day? What was hard? And helping our children and ourselves understand that failure and struggle are a good thing. As long as we're talking about it, learning from it, and not assigning our identity to that. Now, thinking about identity, men, we must know who we are. You are a father. When you became a father, you got a new name. And if more men understood this, understood that their identity as a father is to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect, 
the world would look different. And that is why I launched The Adventure of Fatherhood. Now go check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. I've got three courses on there, introductory course for new dads, discover course for the dad looking to figure this out, understanding his identity. Those are both 30-day courses. And then once you go through that, I've got a 90-day, 18-year roadmap where you actually will create your 18-year roadmap. So check that out, adventureoffatherhood.com. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast podcast, what you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Mm-hmm.